0: you know, we're not going to, doing what I'm doing, I'm not going to stop crime. Mm-hmm. Like people are always, it's just going to happen. People are going to be evil. People are going to do evil things. Um, but if someone doesn't do something, then it's just going to be that much worse. Yeah. So for me, I just try to do my best with doing stuff and just be relentless in my pursuit. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's really all I can do. You know, I think that a lot of the times we focus on things that we can't control I, I can't mm. control circumstances that mm. happen in the world, but what I can't control is my response to it. So I think that if, I mean, that's in life in general. Sure. You know, a lot of people allow circumstances surrounding them to cripple them mm. and, and it doesn't help progress. But if you just keep moving, kind of like that old, you know, just keep, put your head down and embrace the suck. Mm, yeah. And just keep moving forward because mm. it's still forward. Yeah. So I would say that that's the thing that helps me the most.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Lancelot's Roundtable. Today, we are going to be talking about law enforcement as kind of a general topic. I've been fascinated by law enforcement ever since I was a kid. My cousin, when I was in grade school, graduated, I think, from the Ohio State University with a degree in criminal justice, something like that, and then she went into the Columbus Police Academy, became a Columbus Police, Columbus Department Police Officer, and uh, she then moved later on down to Cincinnati, which is where she is now, my cousin. And I remember when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for my life, I was like, oh, maybe I want to be a police officer. I was really hardcore into martial arts, karate specifically. And uh, I thought it'd be fascinating to protect my community. I got uh, this, this was, honestly, we talked about this on you know, episode 11 when we talked with police officer Colin Phillips. So I'm kind of reiterating stuff I've talked about before. but Yes, go c-
0: listen to that episode. Yes, you
1: go listen to that episode, absolutely. Kim's mic'd as you can see. Hey, guys. So anyway, I was on AOL Instant Messenger back in the 90s. It would have been super late 90s because uh, I think I was in high school and I was talking with my cousin who was a police officer. Again, she was in Cincinnati at the time. And I wanted to talk to her about being a police officer, and so I mentioned to her, hey, I think I want to be a police officer. And she immediately typed back, absolutely not. And I was very shocked, and I said, (laughs) why? And she's like, because you have morals. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. What do you mean? Then she went into telling me about the suicide that she had gone to, been called to, and she explained in detail what she witnessed and what she saw uh, at the suicide. Then she explained a daughter, uh, they had arrested the father, and what the daughter had been through, she explained that, and how she got the dad to confess to what he had done. And that was all like some things that she had encountered within like a week. So in my head, I think I had more of a, oh, uh, I don't know, lethal weapon maybe, um, cops, the TV show maybe, where in my head uh, law enforcement work would be getting called to uh, a bank, a bank heist, and doing a high-speed chase with bank criminals or something. Right. So I didn't really have, like, a good concept of, like, oh, I just got called to a suicide. And I was, like, thinking through, okay, if that's what I had to deal with daily, and I didn't know what I was getting called to really necessarily, and then I would just walk up, I just I felt like mm, I didn't want to do that. <laughs> Basically, as soon as I had the conversation with her, I decided I didn't want to do that. But I've always had a huge respect for people that do that job and i've known several people that have been doing that job and several podcasts i've listened to over the last couple of years it's obviously a hot topic and uh, i listened to joe rogan podcast joe rogan experience podcast number 1517 with nancy Pon- nancy ponza nancy ponza is a psychologic, psychologic psychologist. psychologist thank you words are hard, words are hard. A psychologist that her passion is to help police officers. So basically, what she does, and I don't remember where she's at. I think she's in the West Coast somewhere. But she was talking to Joe Rogan about what she does, and her passion is police officers that have gone and just had a traumatic experience and sitting down with them. Isn't she? Could be New York. Could be in New York. You want to look it up? Nope. Okay. Cool. So, um, yeah, her she she basically gets a call when a police officer. Uh, runs into a situation and it's a very traumatic situation so her job is to go evaluate really how that police officer is doing and working through it and then she tries to I don't know it's this whole program that she's doing but she has such amazing things to say go listen to that podcast if you haven't and then there was another Joe Rogan podcast number 1492 uh, podcast with Jocko Willink And it was published on June 16th, 2020. If you remember anything about the year 2020, if you haven't blocked it all out of your mind, things were psycho in the year 2020. And they talked about all the hard stuff that was going on in 2020. And that actually, that podcast actually spurred Nancy Ponza to reach out to Joe Rogan because she was really passionate about the topics that they were talking about. You guys are going to hear a lot of like paper movement in this podcast because I have like all this chicken scratch written down all over the place. So um, you'll probably hear me ripping papers and moving papers. Um, let's it was see. Right.
0: It was New York. She's in New York.
1: She is in New York. Uh, so Nancy Ponza is in New York, yes. Uh, now, going back to my childhood, I think one of the main reasons that I thought about these kinds of things, I grew up in a, in a town close to the capital in Ohio, and I remember I had this memory as a really young kid of being woken up by a loud sound, but I didn't know what it was. And the next morning I found out from my parents that our neighbors had been broken into somebody broken into their kitchen window was in the dad was up and he just yelled burglar really loud and that scared the guy off and he ran away and that freaked me out is like however old I was five six seven I don't know how old I was but that like freaked me out and I was like oh people can like break into your house and that level of I guess fear of no control as a kid was like really overwhelming. Um. And so, just the idea that you know, law enforcement. Well, let me let me actually get into a couple of things because I started researching. Like, law, I did I did Google searches of law enforcement officer and police. And uh, here's just some of the top things, and this is from the uh, U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics. So, and I this actually this phrase has come up on pretty much every Google search that I came up with. Police officers protect lives and properties. That's like the first thing that you read when you think about police officers, last, at least in the couple searches that I did. And the other thing that they do is they enforce the laws that are around, obviously. Work environment. What, what type of work environment do they go through? Police and detective work. I'm literally reading this from the, from the website. Police and detective work can be physically demanding, stressful, and dangerous. Police and sheriff's patrol officers and transit and railroad police have some of the highest rates of injuries and illnesses of all occupations working around the clock shifts is common pay is uh, is like a median median pay you're not going to be buying yachts with with the pay that you make Um, what do they do here's some things that it says about what they do again police officers protect lives and properties what are their duties responding to emergency and non-emergency calls patrolling assigned areas observing people and activities conducting traffic stops, search restricted access databases for vehicle or other records and warrants, obtain and serve warrants for arrests, arrest people suspected of committing crimes, collect and secure evidence from crime scenes, observe the activities of subjects, write detailed reports and fill out forms, prepare cases for legal proceedings and testify in court. It goes into like some more information on what exactly they do and there's different types. What kind of work environment do they have? Let's see, what does it say here? Again, it just re-quotes this. Police and detective work can be physically demanding, stressful, and dangerous. Officers must be alert and ready to react throughout their entire shift. Officers regularly work at crime and accident scenes and encounter suffering and the results of violence. And then the little last blurb here, it says, although a career in law enforcement may be stressful, many officers find it rewarding to help members of their communities. I think... These types of topics are really important to talk about, and I think it's really important to get a very specific type of point of view um, to this type of work, and that's why I am really excited to invite to this podcast Jake, who is a law enforcement officer. We'll leave it at that. So, Jake, welcome to the roundtable.
0: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Absolutely. So, how did
0: you get involved in law enforcement? Man, I got... Involved in law enforcement, uh, my cousin worked as a, well, still works at a uh, suburban agency here in central Ohio. I went on a ride along with him and I was like, man, this is awesome. Uh, just being able to be out in the community, mm-hmm. uh, riding around. I'm not really an office type guy. So when your office is a vehicle that travels, I <laughs> thought, man, this is awesome. And, you know, as I started to move, towards the police academy and uh started to do internships and then really you know move into that field it just became something that I realized that you know I don't want to sound cliche but it's like you're kind of born to do it yep so sure. and I know that seems oh yeah of course he's gonna say that but it really was um you know before I was a a like supervisor at a, a call center uh-huh. and I could have continued that career path um, and it just never felt right. So mm-hmm. uh, once I got into law enforcement and then was able to secure a full-time job it was like this is this is it. You just knew. Yes. This is this is me. Mm-hmm. How old were you for that first ride along? Oh man, I was probably 18. Probably 18. like 17 or 18 years old, probably I would say yeah, probably 17 or 18. And what types of things were you involved in at 17-18? As in uh, just
1: normal Extra day right? Yeah. Oh, um,
0: really sports. Uh, sports was really big. Um, I mean, that's really where my life kind of revolved around. My twin brother and I played baseball competitively since we were five. So wow. we played that. And um, I, I think that just being having a really good home foundation mm-hmm. and being able to have people in my life to – create a path and help me, you know, move down that path really pointing me in the direction of law enforcement. Got it. So you're you've you've made the decision I want to
1: get into law enforcement. Mm-hmm. So tell me just the process of getting in.
0: So when I first started getting into law enforcement, it was way more competitive than it is currently because Sometimes, when you think about who in their right mind would want to get into law enforcement in today's world, yeah. it's a really uh, common uh, question. But when I was getting into law enforcement, it was competitive. So I went through a program at one of the community colleges here in Columbus that allowed you to do uh, secure an associate's degree, but also you were able to um, go through a police academy through the Ohio, uh, Opata is what it's called. So you did your college courses, and then I think it was a sp- spring and summer quarter that you were in the police academy and that was your full-time gig. Wow. Um, yeah. So you did it. Uh, and then the difference was, is that you had to go find your own job. Mm. So if you're going through like, let's say, you know, Columbus police department or state highway patrol, you, you are generally going through that police academy because you've already secured employment. Mm -hmm. So when you're going through the Columbus police academy, you're, you're you getting paid. You're yeah. You're going to, if you graduate, you're going to be a Columbus police officer. That was not the path that I did. I went and secured a, um, certification as a law enforcement officer in Ohio, mm-hmm. but then I, it was, Hey, you have this amount of time to secure employment. And if you don't secure employment, then your certification could run out.
1: Oh, wow. So yeah. I mean, How long? I,
0: um, I want to say it was like a year, uh, I don't remember the specific time frame. I want to say it was maybe a year to a year and a half, and there were certain parameters and stuff like that. But um, one, I knew guys who went through all this, you know, work, all this time and and testing and physical activity to not. Get a job as oh because you, either time ran out or maybe they realized that it wasn't for them. So sure, um, it was different. I mean, when you applied at a job, I remember applying for a job and there was like one or two spots and there was hundreds of people applying for it. Oh my gosh! And it, it was and guys who are applying or guys and girls who are applying with experience and you're a new. We'll say cadet coming out of the academy, mm-hmm. just begging someone to yeah, please hire me. Yeah. Um, so I actually started my career at a suburb um here in central Ohio as a reserve officer, which basically means you're doing it for volunteer for free. Oh um, my gosh. I the actual I, job. The actual job. Now Jeez. you're you're not full time, so you have to have another job, which is what I did. <laughs> okay. Um and and it was you know, for free. I think I did it. Uh, as a reserve at this agency for a year or so. Then I went part-time at another agency and then I f- secured my first full-time job. And I think I was making like $15 an hour. Oh my gosh. So you can imagine it's, it's pretty crazy now that you know police departments now are fighting for good qualified candidates when, I mean, if you weren't doing a reserve job back then, or in working your way up, it was hard to secure these really, um, you know, prominent jobs at larger agencies that are paying uh, significantly more than some of the smaller ones. Okay, that makes sense. I
1: mean, my cousin has said the same. She's a sergeant in mm-hmm. in Cincinnati, and we talked to her over the holidays, and she said the the recruit pool is really bad right now. Yeah, after the last couple of years, and yes. then Mike, the guy that taught me karate, he's a police officer in North Carolina near Raleigh. And he said the same thing. Mm. So that, that sucks. So, okay. So you get done when you're in, when you're learning, are you learning
0: laws that are specific to Ohio or is it more general than that? I mean, you're going to have your laws that are specific to your state, Mm -hmm. um, but you're also learning constitutional law, you know, the amendments and things like that, that apply no matter what state you're going to. So, um, you know, it, it's a mixture. I like to think of it as you have to be equally as intellectual as you are if being able to perform physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and some, it's not an either-or thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be a great shooter, but not understand the law, and it puts you in, a, you know, a, a predicament in a in a criminal situation sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah, I would say that you know the police academy is like drinking through a water hose, mm-hmm. and you really don't know what exactly you're you're kind of absorbing until you're out there. And you're like, oh, this is what they were talking about.
1: That makes sense. Like a fire hose. It's just a ton of information. You're not sure what's even sticking. Yes. That sounds wild. So tell me about the physical aspect. What did you go through physically?
0: Um, I mean, they have, you know, we would do runs. Um, So the academy, the police academy that I had, I would say was um, not like a military... I mean, we did have parts of it that were kind of in your face and stuff like that. But it wasn't until I got to my current um, department where I had to go through another academy that that was, I mean, it was from day one to graduation day, getting smoked if you weren't performing. I mean, it was... And and people say, well, why do they do that? Well, they do that because they want to tear you down to get rid of any imperfections that you have. Mm-hmm. That way, that they can build you up in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. You know, because you have people coming from all walks of life mm-hmm. to be a police officer, and not some of those people. I mean, they don't even know what it is to be an adult yet. Sure. So you know, to try to put everybody on the same playing field. I mean, that's why you wear a uni- the same uniform. You don't have. You know, they want you to have the same type of shoes, the same socks showing, the, all, the same hat, same uniform, because they want you to be the same, to level you out, mm-hmm. to then build you up into, I guess, the best employee you can possibly be at that point. That makes sense. Mm-hmm.
1: So talk to me about how just your journey getting started. Like you're out of the academy. How did you
0: secure a job? Um, uh, application. So I went the department that I did my internship for actually hired me on as um a reserve there. That's so the reserve job. That's the reserve job. Um, and then once I got uh to the part-time gig that I worked, um that was another smaller agency. Mm-hmm. Um I'd like to forget that part of my career. <laughs> 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 but and then uh when I s when I had a friend uh friend who worked at the agency that I um worked for and for my first full time job, Got it. and she really helped me just you know get my name out there and be able to have an opportunity because that's really what it's about: is having an opportunity, mm-hmm. um, and someone taking a risk on you, mm-hmm. taking a risk on anybody in life. But for this, was you know it was me, um, and I you know I worked there for maybe a little over a year, mm-hmm. and then my best friend, still to this day, told me man, this is, we worked together. I met him at this department and he was like, you know, this is really fun. I know you're enjoying it. You know, I'm in my 20s, full-time officer. <laughs> and he was like, like $15 an hour is not going to feed your family. Yeah. It's, you know, and he really pushed me to apply for the academy or not the academy, but department I'm with now. And we went together with another employee or another officer from that um, agency. And mm-hmm. we were like, three guys and he's like oh man this is gonna be great and then <laughs> I remember going to the academy the first day for the my current um uh department uh-huh. and he's like man this is gonna be a piece of cake and I remember looking on the pavement and there's these footprints that are painted on it like in the military oh wow and I looked at him and I was like dude thinking this is not this is not gonna be easy like they this is gonna be bad we're this is going to be a tough academy and and they were changing things the department like they went they revamped everything which i think was phenomenal because they really wanted to invest in their employees like they want to weed out the bad ones and and get the best people that they could so we they come out and they tell you sit up on this you know footprints and basically the footprints are at an angle as the um uh position of attention in the military okay so they just kind of s- explain it. And next thing you know, here come <laughs> these guys with these, you know, their full uniform and they're coming out rush and s- just smoking everybody. And you're just like, well, this is going to stink. <laughs> yes. So that was my, and I mean, e- the first week I just kept telling them like, why did you do this to me? Yeah. But why, now, did they drag you yeah why did he drag me <laughs> along? But now I'm like, you know, I owe him everything for, you know, doing that. But at the time I was just like, ugh. Man, here we go again.
1: So this so what you're describing is like a secondary academy for your yeah. current yes. agency that yes. you're with. Yes. Okay. So in your timeline, you had had your what did you call it? The first job that starts with an R. Reserve. Reserve job. job. Yep. You did that for a couple of years. You're making pennies. You have to work two jobs.
0: Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm working a full-time job at that call center that I was telling you about. Okay. Yeah. And then I after that, when I you have time, you go and do ride-along. Essentially, It's like a glorified ride-along. Okay. Like, you're a police officer, but you are... uh, it's, like, less, th- less than a part-time capacity, I guess.
1: So you're not the one in charge, like, you're there to uh, support and assist yeah, the guy yeah, you're with?
0: Yeah, I mean, you're still, like, when you, there's no, except for maybe a rock a or, like, a patch on your shirt that says reserve, uh-huh. no one's going to know. Like, you, sure. everybody thinks, hey, this guy's a police officer, which you are. You have the same training, but you don't have the, the same amount of, like, rep experience that, that they makes have. Sense. So. Okay. So you go from that job. What was your first full time gig? Um, That was in, man, two thousand and twelve. I think at uh, a small village down in South Columbus. Got it. Okay. What was that like? Um, It was. I mean, honestly, it was awesome. I was able to just kind of, like, experience what type of police officer that I wanted to be. Mm. Um, I had great trainers. Like, still to this day, the guys that I worked with, um, I still talk to. It's it's like the first place that I could say was my home. Um, had great supervision. Um, you know, developed great relationships that I still have now. Mm. Uh, but the only thing was is just the pay. I mean... It just wasn't that competitive. Mm -hmm. Um, So, is this the $15 an hour? Yes. But I will say that a lot of times those types of things are outside of the control of the department because they want to retain their um, employees and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's just there's, you know, you have budgets and all this other uh, stuff that they have to go through. So, um, but they provided um, a lot of good equipment. you know, decent training and stuff like that. But, you know, they were the first department that gave me a chance as a young police officer. And so I'll never forget that. You know, I'm a real believer in it's not... Everybody loves to see where you're at currently, but Mm -hmm. they never see or really pay attention to the path that you got there. Mm. So I really want to always remember who i was before i had all you know the experience that i have and been blessed in the way that i have mm-hmm. so um you know i would do anything for those guys and i'm I, I i'm sure they know that
1: yeah so i mean it's it's amazing to think about you you're putting your own time and investment into be, into becoming a police officer mm-hmm. nothing's secured once you're done then you have to go find a job i mean that's I guess pretty typical of a college student or yes. whatever. Yeah. But what you're describing is like the pool is a lot bigger for people to pick from, so it, it's very competitive. Yeah. It was very competitive at the time. So then when you get your full time gig, they're taking a shot at you. They're taking a risk at you. Mm-hmm. From your perspective now, looking back, how like what's the what's the risk in their minds when they don't know you? Like what's that? I guess level
0: of risk in their minds. I, I mean, you're you know when you're let's say, outfitting a police officer, you're spending thousands of dollars on, you know, equipment, training, uh, getting them ready to be a off full-time officer in your department, and you only have that interview process, which, you know, the interview process for law enforcement can take up to a year, depending, mm. depending on what's going on, because really what they have is it's kind of like safeguards. You know, you have your initial um, testing phase, which says, are you? Um, do you have the uh, at least limited knowledge to to do this job? Then you'll have the physical test. Mm-hmm. Then you'll have usually like a panel interview mm-hmm. with people to where mm-hmm. they can you know throw shot questions at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have your uh, like either polygraph or CVSA, which is the lie detector test. Mm-hmm. And then you'll have your psych. So when you get to psych, it's pretty much like. They just need to make sure that you're not <laughs> you're just uh, like one screw loose, yeah um but throughout that process, which I would say is probably more strenuous than most employment, mm-hmm. you still have people that get through, mm-hmm. so they have to say, is this person going to i mean if if you do something that you're not supposed to that's going to bring a liability, yep. it's going to bring you know civil suits and stuff with yep. the department um with you know supervision and stuff like that so i mean there's a lot of risk i mean the the just the job in and of itself of being a law enforcement officer has so much risk that people think oh man you know yeah you can lose your life but in reality sometimes losing your life isn't really the the most worrisome thing Mm. it's uh having your house taken away, yeah. having all of your money taken away, having your family go through complete, you know, ridicule, watching the person that they love just be blasted on the news. Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes death seems like the and easy way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. seriously. So, and it's and it's just one of those things that um, it, there's a lot of risk for those departments to take on you. Yeah. So when, when someone took a risk on me, I still to this day, I mean, I've, you know, been with my agency almost for 10 years, um, current one. And I still remember when I got the call, Hey, you're going to get full-time employment. Yeah. I remember what that felt like. And I'll never forget that. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah.
1: So talk to me about like, once you're starting full-time, what's your day-to-day look like? What's it feel like?
0: Um, so my, so the job that I currently have, I did not start on the road like patrol, right? Mm-hmm. So the agency that I work with, um, they you start in the jail mm-hmm. and you work as a corrections officer. Wow. Okay. So I did that, which, I mean, it is, it is a job that no one wants to do, mm-hmm. but it takes some strong people to do it mm-hmm. um, because – it's kind of think like this, like if you're working at a hospital, right? You have to take care of the sick people constantly. There's no leaving it. Yeah. But if you're a paramedic, you go to the scene, you pick them up, you drop them off, and they're not really your problem until you know you see them again. Mm-hmm. When you work at a jail, they get dropped off to you. Mm-hmm. So, and in that line of work. There's, you have people that are career criminals and people that just made a bad decision that got caught. Mm -hmm. And there's, so it's like a spectrum of people, right? Mm -hmm. And I've met some people in the jail being inmates that were great people that made really bad decisions, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I've also had friends that I've seen from where I grew up be in jail. Wow. And you're, and it's just a weird environment, but the job teaches you so much. About being a person and being how to talk, you know being able to talk to people, mm. because sometimes you get so used to the repetition and there's the revolving door of things that it's easy to be able to pass it and just say, "Yeah, I'm not going to deal with it." But there you have to deal with it, mm. so you have to be able to talk to people. Yeah, and that and I you know working there uh, for the short time that I did um, allowed me to just continue to develop those skills and just recognize people for people.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's wild. What's, is that a 40 hour a week
0: deal? Uh, or more <laughs> or more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, your standard, uh, I guess requirements is 40 hours a week, but I mean, there's overtime and stuff like that, that you would pick up. So, I mean, you would be doing that all day, every day. That is your cur- that is your permanent assignment when yeah. you first start out. Got it. Okay.
1: Can you talk to me a little bit about like the mental Aspect of it, like how you get through the, how you got through and get through the mental aspect. Cause you see stuff I don't see. The yeah. average <laughs> human sees. You don't, yeah. You see stuff that we don't see.
0: Right. I think that um, the working in the jail, you see just bizarre things more. <laughs> sure. Just things that you're just like, I don't even understand what I just saw. <laughs> and then it becomes normal to you. And you're just like, hmm, okay. Um, But as in law enforcement, you see things that um, – I don't even know how to describe it. It, It's kind of like you become numb to things. Mm -hmm. Like your mind just is conditioned as some type of protective measure to Mm -hmm. kind of sidestep things and say, so you can go on with your tasks that this is not – ish real. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember the first time I saw um, someone's body, I was like, oh my gosh, that's a dead body. And then after the hundreds of, I've, I've seen you're just like, there's another dead body. Yeah. The hardest thing isn't dealing with the body. It's dealing with the families that want to know what happened. They, they, they call you, um, you know, when, after I got out of the corrections and went to my current assignment, There was a job that I I started an overdose task force with um, the chief and uh, sergeant that I worked with, Uh and um, we would respond to pretty much every fatal overdose in uh, at least central Ohio in our jurisdictional area. Uh Um, And you can imagine through, let's say, 2000 and I think it was like 16th or 19th, so drug overdoses were huge yeah. in Central Ohio. Yeah. So, I mean, there were times I, I remember being called in one night period. My partner and I and our sergeant went out to three different overdoses in one night. Jeez. So, and, and it's it's never the bodies that, you know, would bother you. It's, it's the families that you want to, you want to get, you know, give them some type of closure and sometimes you can't. Sometimes the evidence isn't there. Sometimes the um, circumstances don't allow it. Yeah. but you know that's still a mom, that's still a dad, still a brother, it's still a sister, that they want some type of answer. and, yeah. and, and I think as humans, we want someone to be held responsible for things, sure. even though that doesn't eliminate our sense of responsibility for what had happened, I guess, but um, with, the fa- with the families, they just they want an answer. Yeah, and sometimes you can't give them, and that's what is the hardest. I would say. Are you describing being at a crime scene, it's just happened, and
1: then the families show up there?
0: Um, yeah, that is – so I had a my partner who is like uh, – well, my partner when I was doing the overdoses was um, – he had retired and then basically came back. I mean, this man had done it all. Mm-hmm. He was a SWAT. He did – a SWAT operator. He was uh, – a patrol officer, he was a homicide detective, and then eventually were cold case homicides. Mm-hmm. So he really taught me a lot about, you know, how to talk to people, how to v- deliver the bad news, and um, it's not necessarily the family right away when you're – I mean, everybody's going to be upset. Like, that's something in your mind that's conditioned. Like, they are going to be upset. Mm-hmm. They're going to – upset doesn't mean just crying. It can mean really, like, physically angry – um, it can, you know, be family fights going out because of this, mm-hmm. um, a lot of different emotions going on, but it's the, you know, uh, one month, Hey, do you have anything? Uh, you know, uh, we're, we're trying two months. Do you have anything? And you're trying, and, I mean, and, and also you have, you know, 10 other cases that are going on oh, that yeah. you're trying to show the same attention to. Um, so it becomes just a lot, mm-hmm. um, and that's really the thing that I would say is the hardest that I don't even know if people really talk about because it's, it's like you, as a police officer, no one's to talk about the, you know, the, the stuff that kind of gets to you, yeah. um, yeah. because you, you wanted that sense of strength or whatever. But mm-hmm. I mean, for me, I really feel like your strengths are admitting your, your weaknesses mm-hmm. and then addressing them mm-hmm. and then explaining that to people because I can't be the only person that feels like that. Yeah. It's only a weakness if you allow it to stop you from doing your job. Yeah. So that's kind of the, I guess, the hardest thing that I've dealt with um, thus far. And then also, you know, seeing, you know, kids hurt and stuff like that. But that's like the stuff that people will talk about, Mm. not the like small things that just continuously build up over time. So oh wow
1: yeah that makes sense. So the small small things are like building up over time that maybe you just don't want to give attention to in your mind, Mm -hmm. and definitely don't really want to talk about it. And that just builds over time, right? That sounds that sounds really rough. Yeah. Um, Can you tell me about how 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 do you stay optimistic? How do you not get jaded?
0: Ah, I mean I think for me I just try to, you know we're not doing what I'm doing. I'm not going to stop crime. Mm-hmm. Like people are always, it's just going to happen. People are going to be evil. People are going to do evil things. Um, but if someone doesn't do something, then it's just going to be that much worse. Yeah. So for me, I just try to do my best with doing stuff and just be relentless in my pursuit. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's really all I can do. You know, I think that a lot of the times we focus on things that we can't control I I can't Mm. control circumstances that Mm. happen in the world, but what I can't control is my response to it. So I think that if, I mean, that's in life in general. Sure. You know, a lot of people allow circumstances surrounding them to cripple them Mm. and and it doesn't help progress. But if you just keep moving, kind of like that old, you know, just keep, put your head down and embrace the suck. Mm, Yeah. And just keep moving forward because Mm -hmm. it's still forward. Yeah. So I would say that that's the thing that helps me the most. Yeah that
1: makes that makes complete sense um, could you talk about ongoing training like what what is the best things that you've seen since you like during your whole career in terms of like what's helped you ongoing training and such like training for mental
0: training i mean yeah, physical like training all the stuff for you to continue just to escalate and get better at what you do i mean i think that you're all like trying to find your red line you know? Um, so I do obviously, you know, we've talked about jujitsu and, Mm -hmm. um, I've done some type of, uh, we'll say combat training since I was 18, Mm -hmm. uh, from being amateur MMA fighter to, uh, you know, kind of letting that slow down and then getting into jujitsu more, Mm -hmm. um, you know, hardcore. The thing that I realized recently is, Because I got around a group of guys that were really proficient in um, firearms. Like I'm not just saying sitting in a lane and shooting. I'm not talking about marksmanship. I'm talking about, you know, uh, getting a bunch of problems during uh, shooting, Mm -hmm. um, malfunctions, running and moving, being tired, doing it for uh, long um, durations of time. Mm -hmm. What what you what I found was, oh man, I'm I'm getting. With all of these things, after, you know, seven, eight-minute run, I'm getting maxed out. Like, mm. my abilities are starting to lessen more and more. Mm. Um, and I think that what, what we try not to do as human beings is we don't want to be uh, – we don't want to feel that we are um, – inefficient in something. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we don't adjust our training to maximize our efficiency. We decrease it so we don't feel inefficient. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's one thing that I've seen throughout my entire career is that, you know, um, I never want to get in a situation where it's so dangerous that I thought in the middle of this, I should have trained more Mm -hmm. because now it's my life on the line. Yep. And that is something that it's a real thing. I mean, you have, depending on what area you're in, you could have your response be five minutes away and five minutes in a life or death situation is pretty much an eternity. So, yeah. you know, I once I realized that deficiency as far as um, uh, we'll say, I don't want to say gunfighting because that, that's a, a weird term, but we'll just say um, realistic application of using a firearm. <laughs> sure. So once I got into that, I was like, man, I need to get better. Yeah. So I started trying to go, so I would go to, um, you know, f- uh, shooting around a vehicle, like, have you shot glass to see how it's going to affect your bullet trajectory? Wow. Have you, have you been able to see how you're going to move around a vehicle? What's the strongest points of a vehicle to protect you? Mm. Um, so I know, you know, going to those types of classes and being around people that are better than me mm. at something so I can hopefully elevate to their, uh, level of proficiency on things. And that is, I think, where I've been able to um, increase training. Mm-hmm. And and that's like the, f- the physical part of law enforcement that everybody kind of thinks about. Everybody, oh, man, the gunfighting, the, the, the crazy stuff that you see on cops – But the boring part is like knowing your job legally and reading and and understanding, you know, search and seizure and Fourth Amendment and and what you have the legal ability to do. Mm -hmm. Because if you can understand the conceptual basis of what you're trying to do from a a legal standpoint, Mm -hmm. then it allows you to do your job without infringing on people's rights. Yeah. You know, because I think that most people are not doing it on purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it is generally an accident if you know, they ask a question that maybe it, maybe they shouldn't or, or what have you, whatever situation it is. But I think that... Um, you mean the law enforcement officer yeah, like, asking a question? Yeah you, shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, but me as a... Let's just take the badge off. I want someone who's enforcing the law to have the knowledge to to allow me to know what's going on. Like, I don't yeah. want someone to just barge into my house and take, you know, violate my Fourth Amendment rights. Yeah. Um, you know, so sometimes you have to take off the hat of being a police officer to realize the people that you're working for. Because we mm-hmm. work for the community. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing. We're, we're public servants. Yeah. So we serve the public. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I liked what you, when you were talking about, I mean, let's make sure that I understand the definition of, you know, you're talking about getting after that red line. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you talk about getting after the red line, in my mind, that's your ceiling. Physically, mm, yes. So as fast and hard as far as you can run, n- naturally over time as you get older, that ceiling wants to dip. wants to drop. It and does dip, dip really, <laughs> low.
0: <laughs> really low, really low. I wish it was up higher sometimes.
1: So you're constantly kind of trying to push, keep that envelope tight, yes, and and keep it as expanded as you can, yeah. Now, when you're doing this, okay, so when you're pursuing, you know, increasing your ability with firearms, increasing your ability with hand-to-hand, when you're trying trying to increase your ability, physically, when you're trying to increase your ability with your legal understanding, mm-hmm. all of that is things that you're doing outside of your actual job, I imagine?
0: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like, I mean, you, our departments and departments are going to send you to those things. Sure. But at some point, you have to take your own personal responsibility for who you are. Like, I think of myself as a business, right? Yeah. If I want my business to be proficient, I'm going to have to put in time that's not on the clock. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, and and that's just the way I approach things. And I'm sure if someone else is a police officer and listens to it, they're all oh, this, you know, yeah, it must be nice to be young. Well, it is. It's also <laughs> nice to be alive. Yeah. So I, you know, I want my... Um, my business or who I am as a individual to reflect things in the most positive manner possible. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, sometimes that takes away from, you know, family time. Sometimes yeah. that, like you got boxes and sometimes you have to figure out what coin you're going to put your box in to fill it up. And it's going to take from another one. Yeah. But I think that when you do that, you're really inadvertently filling up your family because you, the better you are at your job, hopefully, the return will be the same at some point. Yeah, you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, and I, I work in corporate America. It's kind of similar. If I want to be better at my job, it my ability to do my job well direct is directly affected by what level of responsibility I want to take mm-hmm. to improve my skills. Whereas your my yours might be figuring out firearms on a more proficient level. Mine might be, what can I do with Excel? Right. But it's not something I'm going to learn unless I take the time outside of my job to learn it. Right. Um, Yeah. So that, okay, that all makes sense to me. So you just mentioned family. You have a family? Yes. Yes. So if I was to ask your family member, what's it like being (laughs) married to a
0: law enforcement agency? How would you say... Uh, oh man, how would I? How would she respond? Yeah, man. Hmm. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, spin this positively because <laughs> she's not here to answer. <laughs> Sorry, babe. Um, I'll, actually, I would say that my wife is, and, and most law enforcement wives don't get the credit that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, they deal with a lot of stuff. Yeah, they deal with um, late nights. Uh, working holidays, missing family events. Mm. Um, And that's just the physical things. They don't, you know, for me, if I'm having a hard day, my wife or and I come home, my wife will generally know, like, hey, I need to give this man a second to kind of just relax. Because sometimes my day starts at 8. Like the other day, I started my day at, I think, 8 a.m. And I think I was almost home at midnight. Yeah. So... You know, it's just for me specifically with my assignment. It's so irregular mm-hmm. that the irregular, irregular. No, <laughs> I can't talk today either. <laughs> the it not being regular. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is regular for our family. Yeah. You know what I mean. And and my wife has. You know, we've been through some things at work that I'm sure scared the absolute crap out of her. Yeah. Um, and I know have scared her a lot but she has not you know limited um what i want for my career yeah and unfortunately for her i always it's like oh man let's do you know let's next thing you know let's do swat and she's like jimmy can't you just (laughs) go like do something kind of calm no so you know doing what i'm doing now um you know i've been i've been doing uh special investigations for eight years almost including undercover mm-hmm. that that's probably not something a wife wants to think about, yeah. you know, not alone just going on a patrol and dealing with calls and stuff like that. And, you know, having dangerous situations pop up mm-hmm. could, depending on where you're patrolling daily. But sh- you know, when you say, Hey, you know, I, I want to go undercover and, and, and buy drugs. And she's like, what, <laughs> why? And it's, yeah. I, I, I think it would be a great opportunity, and <laughs> reluctantly she says okay. And then eight years later, doing the same stuff. So,
1: so your great opportunity for your career is doing an, an going undercover.
0: Yeah, my great, my most. Uh, let me let me preface this. God has blessed my life so much. It, it's sometimes I look and I'm like I, I don't even know why. For me, sure. Um, you know when I. Uh, came to the agency I'm with, I didn't have to spend a lot of time doing the corrections. I was able to have an amazing opportunity to go to the unit I'm currently at Mm -hmm. and you start doing undercover buys. Mm -hmm. You know, you start working in an undercover capacity and my wife was uh, less than thrilled on some of my attire choices and the things (laughs) that I would uh, wear. But you you kind of try to be kind and let's and I, I guess I want to preface as an undercover when you're when you're watching on tv and it's like they're living with these people for months yeah. that's not what I was doing that's not what you were No. Doing. okay no that's not what I was doing so you you know essentially you're going out in, in a undercover capacity uh-huh. trying to Um, what, you know, investigate crimes, essentially, you know, that may mean you have to go buy drugs from a drug dealer to further your investigation. But, um, you know, I did that. Um, My wife, I remember us going to like some tasting for our wedding or some some meeting for a wedding and having and I didn't have time to change my clothes (laughs) I literally went home grabbed my car went back to this place and she looked at me like no absolutely I mean (laughs) a long t-shirt like and she just looked at me like what are you doing and I was like yeah this this is pretty ridiculous (laughs) and so you just kind of lose your lose this is not normal but every day you're wearing this stuff you're doing these things you're just like hmm this, this is normal for me, but uh, yeah, that would, I guess having the opportunity working with the eight, you know, the unit that I'm working at now, now I've, I've been able to do things in my career and have opportunities that, I mean, they're literally movies mm. made about stuff that you get to do on a daily basis. And to be around the people, the talented people that have invested in me too, mm-hmm. and that have you know, taking those chances, oh Mm -hmm. man, it's, it's, it's like you, I don't have enough money in the world to pay them back for it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just one of those types of things.
1: It's, it's amazing when you get put in a situation where there's really good people that you get to be around and that when they are willing to like invest in you Mm -hmm. and you, you, you know, the positive effect that they're having on you and how they're helping you reach your goals. Mm -hmm. There's no, cause you can't control that. You can't control usually who's around you, but when you get put in an environment where you're getting really good input from the people around you, that's a fantastic place to be in. Yes. Let's go a little bit more in depth into that journey of being undercover. Mm -hmm. How did you go from what you were doing before? I mean, you're getting input from people, you're getting instruction, training and all that. So Mm -hmm. like, How did that transition into that career
0: go? Oh, man. I remember, so, like, the first year was just a blur. Sure. I mean, the best time in my life, like, career-wise, it was just, you're kind of, like, floating over yourself, like, this is what I'm doing. And mind you, when I first started, I was not very good. Because you spend your whole life not trying to be a criminal, and you're pretending to be a criminal. So it's like... How do you And you don't do you,
1: want to act like you're pretending yes, to be a criminal. Yes, exactly.
0: How do you how do you pretend not to pretend to be a criminal? <laughs> so, I had um, you know, the guy who trained me uh was pr- I mean, still this day I would say it was one of the best investigators I've ever talked to. I mean, him and I still talk mm-hmm. and bounce things off each other. Um, and he really like took me under his wing, mm-hmm. and um, he get, just gave me a lot of uh, advice, and even not even just advice, but like, hey man, you're not doing well at this. Mm. Do better at this. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times no one wants to hear that, but that's really for me what allows me to address the deficiencies I had. Yeah. Um. You know, I'll still remember. <laughs> I still remember the first drug deal I ever did. I I literally tried to carry the drugs out like a subway sandwich because in my mind i could not process what was going on i mean looking back at it now i'm like what were you doing yeah but it was just kind of like this is this is happening like this is really what we're doing and i remember the guy i was training with was with me and he was like hey like put it put it somewhere and i was like where do I put it? (laughs) And so I just remember taking my hat off and putting it under my hat. (laughs) And he probably looked at me and like, we still laugh about this. Like, and I, I love when people tell all the greatest stories about them, but I, I'm like, let's tell the terrible stories (laughs) because those are the best. Yes. And that's when that happened. I was like, I I still tell him like, why did you pass me? But you know, over time you become better at it. And I'm not, you know, there. Being undercover, I always say undercover is like a tool belt on your tool on your um, or tool on your tool belt. Yeah, and it's just one thing that you can pull from to be a better detective. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. so for me, I um, would say the undercover skill sets. There are guys out there who can do it, like. Just boom. I mean, they're snap. It, it just comes natural, and they're, they're able to do that. For me, it, it took work, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm still not the best. I mean, I would say I'm average. I get by, but mm-hmm. um, there are guys out there that I'm just like, man, that like they are phenomenal at doing it. I love the investigation portion of it, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Really diving in and developing a case.
1: Can you tell me about that, like what that means?
0: Um, it just means um, using, you know, you, uh, without getting too into it, using things at, like techniques and methods to to take it from, you know, point A to point Z. Okay. Um, you know, at it you, you can do, you know, things like surveillance, uh, intelligence gathering, figuring out who they are, what they're doing. Like I I want to do that. That's mm-hmm. what I like mm-hmm. to do, and undercover when I can, I'll introduce it. You know Got what I it. mean? So, yeah. yeah. Um, but undercover comes with you know risk. Um, it. I've been in situations, <clears throat> not I, more personally, and with teammates, that it's. I mean, life and death situations, mm-hmm. um, and that's where the fun come becomes reality, and you're just like, you know this this is real. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you know. Collectively, the, the it's kind of like I was saying. You know, you want to be physically able, but also intellectually um, able. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing with undercover is like you want to be able to have that like chameleon esque type of mm-hmm. your uh, skill set, but it's not the most important thing. You yeah. know what I mean? It's not like I'm just going to give a hundred percent into this undercover thing and not worry about actually how I, how to put together a case. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, that's it's like a lot of different hats. That yeah, you, that you get used to wearing. Yes, yes, it's uh, you know it, from the the unit that I am with, you could be doing anything. I mean, you could be doing a drug case one day and then working a, a assisting with a death case the next day. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I think is so interesting about the people that I work with and the um, supervisors that I work for is that you know. They have you have to have your head on a swivel at all times, you know. And, and sometimes I think when you do it for so long, you forget how um, dynamic things are. Mm-hmm. And and when you speak about it out loud, you're just like, "Oh well, man, it's a, it's kind of a lot." <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah, it
1: is a lot. So I mean, that brings me to this question, and I'm really curious just how you'll answer it because I just I want I'm just curious mentally what this is like. Do you ever do you ever run into a situation or did you ever run into a situation where you're just like your motivation to keep doing it was gone or struggling or where you're just like, I should, I, do I
0: want to keep doing this? Did that, has that ever happened? Um, I, I mean, yeah, for sure. It's thought like, man, is this not, not from like a law enforcement perspective, but from a just like being tired perspective. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Um, you know, I, uh, worked cases where I'm just like, I just wish this would end because mm. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of, you know, uh, just it absorbing your life. I mean, think yeah. about thinking about something constantly, you know, you, you as a criminal, you're thinking you're, that's your lifestyle. So it's, it, you're doing it 24 seven, but me, I have eight hours in a day or, you know, more. So yeah, you're, but you're constantly thinking about it, strategizing, trying to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I think that as far as like giving up on what I'm doing, I, I've always I've thought about like you know let's maybe go try a, you know on the SWAT team or something like mm-hmm. that or canine like that absolutely is interesting to me. But um, I don't think I've ever thought like let's just let's just give up. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, if something gets harder, I feel like I want to pursue it more because I don't want that to be the thing like. That got away. Yeah. You know what I makes mean? Makes
1: total sense. Yeah. yeah. So I,
0: I feel like that, it just kind of makes, I mean, it drives me crazy, but it just, I, I want to do it more and more.
1: Yeah. So like you run into a challenge, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to conquer this sucker. Yes.
0: And when you do conquer it, you know, I've had cases where it's like, man, I'm chasing, trying to get all this stuff for, you know, a year or two. And then yeah. you finally get it. And it's just like, huh, man. That was awesome. And yeah, moving to the next. And then right on to the next. <laughs> and right now on to the next. Yes.
1: <laughs> so how many? Like, it, like, give me like a peak example when you have like most amount of cases you've ever had that are all you're just working like X number of cases. They're all in different states, like in different uh, parts of their Area. case. Yeah.
0: Oh man, I think when I was working, overdoses was the most because we are very we were a unit of three guys. It was two detect well two detectives and then they added another one and then it was a sergeant. And when we first started, we were not only working our own cases, our jurisdiction, but we were also helping out other agencies because before we started that, um, task force, uh, Overdose investigations were not worked like a crime scene. It was it was deemed an accidental death, so mm. nobody was really held responsible. It was just like, hey, this person took the drugs and they overdosed, and mm. you know it's an unfortunate situation. So, um, what was really awesome to be a part of was changing law enforcement from that standpoint of working invest or an overdose and trying to find out who the dealer was provided it to him, and then actually c- go after that dealer criminally. Okay. Um, so when we first started providing or, you know, going to these agencies and saying, Hey, can we work your overdose deaths? They were like, uh, yeah, why? And we would tell them and, and it was foreign to them, yeah. you know, and not only were we working the deaths, but if someone non-fatally overdosed and was able to be revived by a, you know, medics or whatever, well, we would go out to them, knock on their door and say, Hey, You know, um, we understand you had a medical emergency. We're here to offer some type of assistance. We had a, like, social worker, someone who could provide them with that to where we could, as law enforcement, you know, deal with the law enforcement side. But from a medical standpoint, if they didn't feel comfortable talking to law enforcement about it, um, because traditionally the police are there when... (laughs) things, someone needs to be held accountable for something or when something bad is happening. So,
1: so they wouldn't necessarily want to talk to a law enforcement officer because they don't want to end up in trouble. Yes.
0: So, um, that was kind of the first hurdle, but, uh, we were able to, if they non fatally overdosed, we would figure out who sold them the drugs and then still go after them, but for a different crime. Mm. Um, and you know, I mean, it was a successful, uh, task force. It's still going on. Um, there was, I mean, it was nationally recognized, Wow, Um, and we and it's because of people at the um, department I'm with. They have very good ability to have vision to move and and go outside of the normal things for law enforcement. You Mm -hmm. know, I some people will stay in the like guys when you know I first started. Oh, law enforcement's not the same. Well, no, it's because law enforcement includes people that change constantly and we're constantly evolving as a you know human race so which you want yeah you want um and that was one thing to be a part of and see that I mean it was a lot of work it was a lot of uh sleepless nights and stuff like that but um to say that you had the opportunity to help change a vision and a way of processing things for law enforcement that's not usually something that you can say yeah. So I was. It was just cool to have a small piece in that.
1: So you. Uh, so make sure I have this right, and you just correct me wherever I need yeah. to be corrected. You're talking about basically like almost like I'm putting this in quotes, like a new frontier type of a thing where traditionally maybe this type of a thing would be held where really who you're going after is the people that are buying and using.
0: We're going. Yeah. So when we were when we were working in these cases, we weren't looking at. The person who is using the drugs as a criminal necessarily, mm-hmm. yes, they're doing a criminal act by absorbing drugs that are illegal. I get it, mm-hmm. but what we're trying to do is go after the people that are providing. Because if you don't have the provider, then how are you going to get it? Yeah. <laughs> so that's really what we, you know, we partnered with uh, a prosecutors in the, you know, the area that we work and um, really developed a uh, a way to try to combat it. I mean, it was an epidemic. Yes. You know what I mean? It, it, yes. You had people on the street overdosing. Yep. You know, you'd walk on certain parts of the street and see needles everywhere. You know, these kids are playing here, and yep, um, yeah, you know, we've had it where people have died when their kids are in the ba- in, you know, in the other rooms. Yeah. So Jeez. there has to be something. You know, when people say, "Oh, legalize drugs," that's not going to do anything. Legalizing a drug is just going to say, "Hey, just let the floodgates open." Right. You know what I mean. And and th- you have to be creative sometimes to to try to help a, a community problem.
1: Yeah. You know. So, is the revolutionary thing that you guys did was then going after the people that were selling the drugs?
0: In a, yes, for not because we don't go after people that are selling drugs, uh-huh. but we're you're going after the people that sold. Um, the drugs that caused the overdose mm-hmm. and holding them responsible. So in Ohio, they have a, a, a involuntary manslaughter, yep. right? Okay, so that's what the, one of the crimes that you would um, try to charge or prove mm-hmm. for the dealer. Mm-hmm. And if they non-fatally overdose, meaning they were didn't die, but they there was something that they used to um, save their life um and reverse the effects like narcan Mm -hmm. then you would go after them for corrupting another with drugs Mm -hmm. um which that charge in and of itself held two to eight years mandatory prison time got it so that's what they were looking at so um yeah it was uh it was just a different you know outlook on it for sure
1: yeah i mean that i mean that's really that's really great i mean I mean it's all over the news and people talk about all like a lot which is the the problem with drugs that are happening in this country and I've heard that it's particularly bad here. Mm. So I just love that aspect of looking at something in a new way and figuring out a better way. Yes. to to address a situation and a problem. So that's really awesome. So we're getting to about an hour here so we're going to start Thinking about kind of semi wrapping it up, so mm-hmm. I think the last couple of things I just would like to hear from you is people that are interested in law enforcement. People, well, let's th- let's address this in two. Let's address this in two layers. People that aren't involved in law enforcement, your average citizen, what things would you want to say to them to educate them on
0: law enforcement? Um, I would say. One, get all the facts, mm-hmm. respond to all the facts, and and understand, like, for whatever incident is, just don't knee-jerk react to things. Try to obtain the facts uh, as best as possible when they're provided. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would also say that, you know, there are bad police officers in this world, for mm-hmm. sure. Just like there's bad doctors and bad priests and stuff like that. Yep. We're, um, so understand that when there's a bad police officer, good police officers do not want them around. Yeah. It's not the, the brotherhood that we talk about. Mm-hmm. It has conditions. Mm-hmm. You have to want to uphold the brotherhood, want to uphold the badge and everything that it represents. Yeah. Because the minute you don't, you're tainting that for everybody else who's trying to do it correctly. Yeah. So I would say, you know, the thin blue line and all that stuff that people talk about, it's not a let's hide things because I've seen guys get exposed uh, because of wrong, you know, wrongdoing and they absolutely should be. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the brotherhood that we talk about is uh, a sense of, you know, camaraderie that we have because of the things that we go through, because you can't understand what, you know, law enforcement officers go through. Unless you are one, it's yeah. just it is what it is. Yep. Um. So, and there was one other thing that I'm trying to think. Um, facts. Yeah, I would. I would just say have some grace too. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody in this world, there. Uh, you know, there's times that you walk out of the door and you. There are officers that never step back in. Right. Um, There are situations that happen that, you know, it's life and death on the line and you have seconds to make decisions. Yeah. And, yes, you can make the wrong decision. But a majority of the time things can be prevented for if people listen. Mm-hmm. The street is not a place to argue your legal position. That's mm. where the court is. Yeah. Um, You know, for me and my kids, when, you know, my kid – Gets old enough, I will tell them. If a police officer tells you something, you need to listen, Mm -hmm. because when people aren't listening, that throws red flags. Because usually, when people aren't listening, it's for a wrong reason. Mm -hmm. It you know distraction or whatever you you know they had the guy just shooting on the freeway. Mm -hmm. You know uh, what yesterday. Um, You never know in a a situation that um, comes across where. It, it could mean your life and you don't have the ability to say no mm-hmm. as a law enforcement officer. Mm-hmm. Like it's your duty to protect. Yeah. So when everybody else is running the other way, you have to run towards it. Yep. So I think that just understanding it from just a human um, yeah. standpoint, yeah. And saying, Hey, like I'm not condoning people doing wrong things, but I am asking for people to understand that we're human and the situations that we deal with on a daily basis, yeah, I wouldn't wish that on anybody that I care about. Yeah, that's good.
1: That's good. Last thing I would like for you to address is I'm 18, 19, 17 years old, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking I, I think I want to do law enforcement. What advice would you have for that individual?
0: Uh, go on ride-alongs. Um, go on ride-alongs in different areas of your community, don't just go in the, you know, worse areas. Don't just get a feel of what's going on, get a bunch of opinions. Um, You're always going to have that, well, law enforcement has changed. Well, yeah, it'll always change. It'll it'll change when I'm, you know, ready to retire and so on and so forth. But um, understand, get a perspective, and really think, like, this isn't a job where you just go apply and you don't live your life in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, when you become a police officer, no matter if you're on duty or not, you you have to you have to act in a different way. Mm-hmm. If someone finds out you're a police officer and you're acting crazy and going, you know, you're at, with your friends and stuff like that, especially if you're 19, 20, 21, your life is not going to be the same as a normal 21-year-old. Yeah, It can't be. Yeah. Because your department, if something happens, they're going to... You, you represent them. Yep. You're representing them. And yes, on, in other businesses, you will represent you know, your business. But there, people think if you're a police officer, you should have a higher standard of living. Yes. And yeah. you have to keep that. Yeah. So I think that th- understanding that is hard to really grasp um, for some people. And yeah. that's why it's hard. That's the risk. You know, yeah. what we were talking about earlier, the risk of, can I hire this kid? Yeah. At 21 years old, is he mentally ready for it? Yeah. Um, and you know, we I got I gotten into a situation where I was at a I had just been at a party. I would think I was in my 20s, mm-hmm. and I was just there. I didn't even know the person's house I was in. I was with a friend, and my mm-hmm. little brother was with me. And long story short, uh, he he had a a girlfriend uh-huh. who was, let's say, not is. Uh, strong up there. And, uh-huh. and, uh, she called into the police department and said, I was ha- having a party providing them with alcohol. Uh-huh. It wasn't even my party, uh-huh. but because she knew what that would look like, you know, I had to get called in and they asked questions. And really I just, I, I didn't understand what was going on because I'm like, this isn't even my house. Yeah. And so for me at a really early time in my career, I realized people are watching yeah. Constantly. Yeah. Um, and that was a great lesson for me, not because I did anything, but because I saw what people can do. Yes. Um, and perception, unfortunately, is reality, even if it's not. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's
1: that's sad, but true. But yeah. that's a good word. I mean, the, the whole thing about living with the understanding that you have a higher standard Yes, that you need to live by is very important, especially at that age because, boy, it's really easy to make dumb mistakes at that age. Yes. Um, and then uh, I, I wanted to, like, mention one podcast that I think if you, if you like this type of content, which I love, um, a really good podcast to go listen to. I've listened to, I think, just over half of it, uh, Vigilance Elite YouTube channel. Sean Ryan show. Sean Ryan was, is an ex-Special Forces guy. He has amazing people on. Episode 13, he had NYPD Police Commissioner Bernie Carrick on, mm. and they talked about his time going through the police in New York City mm-hmm. when it was real bad in the 70s and 80s, and he talked about his undercover stint. Oh, awesome. And it's wild. And he lost like a guy that was on his unit. He mm-hmm. went in to go do a thing. They yeah. figured something out, and he didn't... He. he he died. Jeez. And he talked about this This guy, this police commissioner, talked about his time undercover. And on the street in New York City, it was the best. He had the most fun.
0: Yeah, for the sure. The most fun of his career. The most fun. But for just <laughs> looking back, I'm like, man, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? Why was I having fun? <laughs> yeah. Why is this fun? Like, when you explain to people, are like, that doesn't sound fun. You're like, yeah, but it is. <laughs> so.
1: That's awesome. Jake. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks man. for having me. Thanks I would love it if me. you would come back. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot more things I want to talk with you about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, uh, thanks for coming on, and everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll we'll catch you next time.